You're listening to the FC Young Adult Podcast. And uh, so I, I got to I got to be a part of uh, uh, I got to come on staff at Faith Chapel uh, in December of 2019. So right before COVID, which was crazy and awesome. And I've known Evan and Shane uh, for a long, long time. Shane, the high school pastor, and Evan. Uh, Evan actually used to be a middle school leader when I was in middle school. He used to chase me around and tackle me to the ground because I was a punk, and it was awesome. So I've known Evan for a long time. So it's always an honor to come and speak in front of people who are quiet. Like this room is quiet. This room is crazy quiet. Like I'm used, I, I teach in here on Saturdays and Sundays. This is, it's a little unnerving when you're just used to, could, so could you guys just like mumble to each other for a quick second? That'd be super awesome. Yeah, perfect. I'm used to that. And then I have to be like, Tim, stop, knock it off, man. Get back on track. So, okay, now that, uh, now that you know just a little bit about me. Oh, I went to, I went to Rocky. I played soccer at Rocky and uh, got a double major in um, political science and um, history and realized you can't do anything with that. So just kidding, just kidding. Just a lot more school. So here I am. So I'm happy to be here. Go Bears. So we are going to pick up in the book of John, okay? We are going to look at the last chapter in John, John chapter 21, and this is Jesus and the miraculous catch of fish. So would you just read along with me? Um, Afterward, all it's saying here, um, when you're reading your Bible, it's really good to just pay attention to like, what is, like the, what do the words say? So what, after what, you know, like, hey, what just happened? Jesus had appeared to the disciples twice before this moment. He'd already been crucified, resurrected, showed up once to his disciples. Thomas wasn't there, showed up again because Thomas was a little doubter, didn't believe him, had to put his fingers in the nail holes of Jesus. And then this is the third time that they see Jesus after he's been raised from the dead. So this is what it has to say. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. That is the Sea of Galilee. It is a beautiful area. If you ever have the chance to go to Israel, I highly recommend going to that place. It is amazing to just think about the stories that happened there with Jesus. And it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. Imagine being those guys. <laughs> it's kind of a bummer, right? Two other ones. Yeah, I'm just not going to bother writing their names. Awesome. Great. Glad. Feel super loved there. I am going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So any fly, fly fishermen or just fishermen in general in the room? We've got a couple. Awesome. Sweet. So the thing about fish is what they typically will do is they will move around in the water depending on the time of day, depending on conditions, and depending on where the food is. And the, mostly what they're concerned about is heat. So they tend to go to water that is a little bit cooler. So at night, there's a lot of like bug activity that happens, and you're getting a little like uh, science lesson here. It's kind of fun, huh? So at night, what happens is there's hatches that go on all the time, and bugs Bugs come and they land on the water and they tend to do that near the reeds on the shores. And so fish tend to move 
in towards the shore. Also, there's not very many people out for the most part in the middle of the night. There's not as much prey out, or uh, sorry, predators that are out there. So they all move into the shallower water near the, the shoreline. And then as the day goes on, as it starts to get brighter and the, the sun comes out and Israel's pretty hot place to be, the fish move out in towards the deeper waters because the deeper waters stay cool. So these guys have it down to a science. They're like, okay, we know the fish are there, so they go out at night. They're not just a bunch of crazy people without electricity or batteries like out in the middle of the lake at the middle of the night for no reason, okay? So there's always a reason why there's people are, are doing things in the Bible. It's good to ask those questions. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called, oh, let's go back just for one quick second, sorry. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing, okay? Caught nothing. Those of you who have ever gone fishing, caught nothing, it is not a good feeling, okay? These guys were professional fishermen. It is like, for instance, I had a buddy who, uh, who's coaching basketball right now, high school basketball, and uh, when he loses a game, he comes back and he's steamed. You can always tell, right? You can always tell whether they won or lost based on the mood that he's in, okay? So I'm just picturing this boat full of disciples who are professional fishermen catching nothing, and they're probably talking to themselves, right? They're like, all right, it's still really dark out. Nobody's probably seen us. Let's just get out of this boat, go home. Nobody has to know, right? Nobody has to know. And then they see this dude on the shore, and Jesus calls out to him, friends, have you got any fish? They go, no, just one word, nope. <laughs> I think that's what I would say too, nope. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. They're like, who is this guy? Who does he think he is, right? Like what? Some stranger telling us how to do our job. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that is John, okay? If you read throughout the Bible, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's pretty cocky if you think about it. Bold move. Power move right there, okay? The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say that, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish for they were not that far from the shore, about 100 yards for those of you who utilize the metric system, about 90 meters, okay? So we're all on the same page there, regardless of where you're from. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore, and it was full of large fish, 153. Why 153? Don't know. That's just how many there were. People like, I've read so many things about scholars trying to figure out like 150, like, you know, like the Rain Man thing where they're like, if you add this number and this, literally, if you add the letters and the numbers of Peter's name, then it adds up to 153. If you add Jesus, how many steps he took across the water at the sea, right? Like you just do all these things. It's just 153 fish, big ones, nice ones. They didn't have to throw them back. That's all that I know, okay? So sometimes the Bible just is telling you what it's telling you, all right? But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Fish for breakfast. Interesting. All right. 
None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. The dead. Thank you. All right, let's go home, right? Okay, so what, here's what I'm going to do. I've, just reading through the Bible, reading through God's word, it's good. Just doing your devotions, just whatever, whatever way you read it. I don't know if you do soap. I don't know if you do sword. I don't know if you just go, God, do a miracle. Tell me something. I can barely read anyways, right? Like, I don't know what your situation is. But I just like to read things, and I, I like to read them over and over. And then I just like to... The nice thing about this being the living word of God is it's constantly teaching people different things dependent on their circumstances. And it's, you don't want to get in the habit of reading something that you just personalize, right? Because then you can get into danger territory. But it is good to look at what are some of the truths that stand out? What are some of the things that are actually true that apply to my life? It is important to be able to do that. So I'm just going to ask a couple of questions, and we're going to walk through these things together. You might get something completely different the next time that you read through this passage, and that's awesome. That's great. Uh, Evan and I both taught on Matthew, and we came up with different stuff. It's great. It's super cool. So just read your Bible. It's great. First question that I want to ask is, what do I do, or what do you do when you are not at the table? I know Evan's a big slide guy. I'm not. If you got your notes, that's just one of the points, okay? What do you do when you are not at the table? When you are not sitting close, in close proximity with Jesus, when you're not sitting close in proximity with his word, what do you do when you are not at the table? And specifically, I want to think about something that came to my mind, which was, what are the patterns that you have created in your life when you might be discouraged or feeling unsure of your purpose, or you might be feeling distance from God? What are the habits or the patterns that you've created in your life that you fall back to when you are feeling distanced from God? Now, some of these things aren't necessarily bad. These disciples going back to fishing, there's some who would claim that them going back to fishing was a, a giving up on the mission of Jesus and what he had done. And them just being like, I guess we go back to our old life. I'm not necessarily sure that that's true. There is a chance that they went back just because they were waiting for what was next and they're just going, all right. Like, this is what we know. We're fishermen. Let's go do it. Let's go bro out at, in the middle of the night in, on a boat. Okay? I don't know. But what do you do? Another maybe thought to add to this would be, what brings you a pleasant sense of control when you feel like you need it? What brings you a pleasant sense of control when you feel like you need it? I think those are really good questions to ask because these disciples, they knew how to fish. They had done that to provide for them and their families. That was something that they felt confident in. And then, unfortunately, whoops-a-daisy, they got skunked. They didn't catch anything. But what is it that you run back to when you need a sense of control? I think that that's a really important question to ask as a follower of Jesus specifically because we build patterns and ruts in our brain that lead us down roads that are not healthy. Instead of running back to the table, instead of running back to Jesus, we run... By the way, it's really cool to see some of you. I'm so short that when I stand down here, I can't see you. So whole new world up here. What are you running to? And is what you're running to pulling you away from Jesus? 
Are you looking to something else when really you need him? Just something to think about. Next, Jesus is not concerned with perception or performance. He desires obedience. He desires for us to follow. He does not care about perception or performance, okay? These disciples, when he first called them, they weren't the cream of the crop, right? They weren't the cream of the crop. He's like, hey, I guess you come follow. He didn't do that, but right? Like these are people who already had other professions. They weren't like the highest scholars at the time. They weren't like these, the the straight A students. These were people that had settled into other other callings at this point in their life. And yet he didn't care. And time and time again, we see that Jesus doesn't care about performance. He doesn't care about what people have done up to that point in their life where he encounters them. He just wants them to be obedient, to follow him. And it, he's proven this in this story. These guys are coming in whooped, tired. They're like, that was a long night. Might be feeling a little bit of shame. And yet, Jesus goes, hey, did you guys get anything? No, that's all right. He also doesn't care about the perception that other people might have. I know that it, I've done this. I was a fly fishing guide for a while. And when you bring people out and you don't catch anything. That's your job. That's, your, that's where like, you make your money is like by having them have a pleasant experience. When that doesn't happen, you're worried about the perception, not only to the people who are in your boat, but to your buddies who are like, what's wrong? We were slaying out there, right? Jesus doesn't care about perception. And I think that that's really big for us. That's something I'm walking through right now, personally in my life. I oftentimes allow perception of what other people say about me and my worth and my performance and where that gets me determine and dictate my value. And Jesus is saying, no, I just want you to be obedient to what I am calling you to do. He asked them to do three things. Throw your nets to the other side. Bring me some of the fish. Come and have breakfast with me. That's what he asked in this story. Simple things things that we can do. And all throughout this word, we see things that he's asking us to do. But it's not about our performance. It's about our posture of coming back saying, God, I know I'm not enough. <laughs> Will you take me anyways? I, want, I have a heart that's willing. A heart, all I have is a hallelujah. Will you take me? The next question that I want to think through real quick is, where am I at the table? Where am I at the table? And it's actually interesting because in a different setting, they actually, Jesus talks about this. He talks about where we place other people at the table, where we like to put ourselves at the table, and how that's different than what he sees. And I think we often fall prey to our own desire to be the center of the story. Even John, bless his, bless his heart, right? the disciple who Jesus loved. He couldn't help himself. He couldn't help himself in the Bible by saying when they were running to the grave to see if Jesus was in there, he's like, and I won, by the way. Just so everybody throughout history knows, John beat Peter to the grave, right? We can't help ourselves. We just want to be the center of the story. And it's frustrating, like when we don't get the recognition for being a part of something, right? Right? It's really frustrating. We, and in fact, when people are telling stories, this has happened to me so many times where somebody's telling a story and they're like, yeah, and then so-and-so did this. And you're like, no, I did that. 
that was me, right? And you inter- no, 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 no. And then I had this idea, right? And then, oh, no, I, yeah, I was there too. You want to be a part of it. You want to be a part of the exciting idea, the story, the experience. And we want to jump in and correct something when we feel like we're not brought in in the place that we need to be brought in. What would you feel if you were one of those two other disciples, right? John goes on to name them, and then he goes, and then the other two. <laughs> I'd be ticked, right? Like, I'd be like, bro, there were only 12 of us. It's not that hard. I know you're not good with names, John, but this, seriously, man, just write it, okay? Write our names in there. Are you content being a part of the story, even if you are not center stage, side stage, but you're actually under the stage. Are you okay with that? Would you be okay with and still be a committed follower of Jesus knowing that someone else might get a more coveted calling or a more prominent part to play? There's a lot of P's and C's in there. Okay, let me say that one more time. Would you be okay with and still committed to following Jesus, knowing that someone else might get a more coveted calling, a more prominent part to play. I've seen a lot of hurt and frustration and jealousy and bitterness from people, as well as experiencing that myself throughout my life from feeling a concern for where I am at the table. Being worried that, well, this person is called to this. Why can't I be there with them? This person has all of these giftings. Why can't I be like them? Why does Peter get to be the one that runs the church, that's the rock of the church? I carried way more of Jesus's like dirty clothes and stuff when I was walking with Jesus than Peter did, right? Why? Jesus showed time and time again that he did not have the same view as the rest of the world on table placements. In fact, he mixed that order up. So that's something that we need to be constantly aware of is are you just jostling for position at the table? Or are you content to say, no, you can sit there. It's okay, I don't have to be there. I don't have to be the center stage. I'll be over here. And I'll just do what I've been tasked with. I'll just love who Jesus is asking me to love. The final question that I want to ask is what do I bring to the table? What do you bring to the table? It's a question I've asked myself a lot throughout my life. There's been plenty of times where I've just felt completely inadequate. I've just felt like, why am I even here? Why am I even being involved in this conversation? I don't deserve to be here. What do I have to bring to the table? I remember sitting at a table with Nate and Evan and Shane and a bunch of other pastors here on staff my first month being here on staff, and I'm just looking around, and I'm just like, I do not belong here. (laughs) If they only knew, if they only knew that I still laugh at fart jokes with middle schoolers, right? Like, if if they only knew this thing about me. 
I don't belong here. What do I bring to the table? I think we all have moments in life where we have to ask that question, but, but here's, here's the comforting thing. All that we have to bring to the table is what God has already given us. All we have to bring to the table is what Jesus has already provided for us. You know, I'm looking at today, like as I'm like going back and forth, I'm like, man, I st-, like literally wanting to scrap my message. It's like, this sucks. What am I doing? And I go way over here and I read it. I open it up to a random page and I'm like, all right, Jesus, here, maybe, no, I don't know. That didn't actually happen. But like, that's how it feels sometimes when you're prepping a message. You're just like, no, maybe I should do this story. God, what do they need to hear? What? I'm just waiting for that lightning bolt moment, right? I'm like, what do I have to bring tonight? What do I have? And Jesus goes, hey, my words that I've already given you. Jesus says, come to breakfast. The disciples are like, what do we do? He's like, bring the fish that I just brought you. Right? These disciples who were called originally, they didn't have much. They just said yes. They were just obedient. Throughout these stories of Jesus being at the table, there's so many. I really encourage you, even after this series is done, there's so many like, times in the Bible where Jesus sits down and shares a meal or is at a table with somebody. It's really cool. It's really hard to choose. There's so many of them. But we see that he just wanted people to share in a meal with him eagerly, humbly, unconcerned with who else was at the table and what their qualifications were and just be authentic. Just be present. God created us all differently. We all have different giftings. We all have, some people are faster than others, like John, right? They're like getting to the tomb before everybody else, right? Some people are the leaders, like Peter, who the church, the foundation of the church was built on. But God is not asking you to bring something that he has not already given to you. He's not asking you to pretend to be somebody that you're not. He's just simply saying, come to my table, just bring a humble heart. Bring the the person that I know I created you to be. And that is enough. Gosh, that's so comforting. And if we can understand that, our whole entire world is going to change. Our world gets turned upside down because it no longer becomes about what we can do and what we can't do. It just, it just is, God, you made me. I am valuable to you. I want to obey you. I want to be at your table. Here's the final thought that I just want to leave you with. Exciting things happen when we decide to join Jesus' table. Exciting things happen when we decide to join Jesus' table. Through all of these stories, crazy transformations taking place, miraculous events are happening, and it's just simply by people being around Jesus, being in his sphere of influence, choosing to go like Zacchaeus did, to climb a tree, or just to to do whatever it takes to get near him, to come to young adults, to go off into the mission field, whatever that looks like, to come serve at junior high. Please, God, come serve at junior high. Um, That's my pitch right there. Exciting things happen. 
Transformation happens. Our identities are made clear when we decide to sit at Jesus' table. So don't allow anything to keep you from his table. Show up. You don't have to bring, like, you don't have to worry about the fact that you can't cook, right? Just bring what you got. Come with a humble heart. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for every person in this room. Thank you for making them wonderfully and for a purpose. and to be a part of your church. Jesus, I would have given anything to just be able to sit at your table and just like be one of the disciples just for like one meal. Like just would have been amazing just to to see and to hear. But you have also given us your spirit and you've promised us that you will never leave us that you will always be with us. And you also say that when two or more are gathered, that you are there with us. And you also have given us just testimony after testimony through your word and through the people in this room and through the people outside of this room who are your followers, that there are still amazing, wonderful, miraculous, transformational things that happen when we come together and sit at your table. So God, I pray that... that Tonight, as we leave, as we engage in conversation with each other, as we go just sit on our couch and watch Netflix or Disney Plus or whatever, that we would remember to create time to just simply be at your table and that we would remember that we don't have to bring anything other than what you've given us and just a heart that wants to be obedient. God, I pray that you would just communicate Um, into every heart and into every mind tonight that the people here are loved, um, that they are valuable, um, and that nothing that they do or nothing that anything that anybody else says about them can change the fact that you love them. Um, So um, I just pray for a blessing and uh, over every person that's here tonight and the people who aren't able to be here tonight. Um, We love you. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Amen. Thank you for listening to the FC Young Adult Podcast. If you are in the Billings area, we would love to see you at our in-person gatherings on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. If you're unable to attend in person, there are always ways to engage online. Follow along through Instagram at faithchapel.ya or find our ministry page at faithchapel.cc. You are loved.